0: From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 288. Today's show is brought to you by DoorDash, Pingdom, and Previs Pro. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell.
1: Hello, Mike Hurley. How are you?
0: Fine and dandy, my friend. I have a hashtag okay. SnellTalk question for you. Mm-hmm. This one comes from Doug, and Doug is alerting our audience that spring is coming. So thank you, Doug, for doing that. But that isn't Doug's question. Doug's question is, Jason, do you have any digital spring cleaning routines? My current plan is to go through my photo library and clean out
1: nonsense photos. Well, the short version of it is no. I, I don't have a spring cleaning ritual for digital things. I do try sometimes to clean things, like physically clean things in my house and pick mm-hmm. things up and stuff. But, um, but I do have a cleaning robot that does all my cleaning for me. Yeah. Sort of. All year round, Beep which boop. is Yep, exactly. Um so I I am a latecomer to Hazel by NoodleSoft, mm. which is a great Mac utility. Um but I did get into it last year and I wrote a post about it on six colors that we can link to and I have started to use Hazel in a bunch of different places to do a bunch of different tasks. So like my article on six colors is about how I use it on my server where where my um, because I have a Mac Mini with a giant you know RAID array attached to it, sure. Um, And that's where all my podcast archives go. And Hazel is running on that Mac Mini, and it's patrolling. And it it, for certain podcasts that are timely, that are are not archival in any way, it waits a period of time, a month or two, and then it just deletes them. It's like I don't need that anymore. For the ones that I want to save, it like the Incomparable, um, in case I need to pull it back out of the archive for an anniversary show or an end of year show. It waits, um, I think a month and then it, it compresses it all. So it takes up less disc space. Mm. And then it's basically in an archive at that point. And I can get it if I need it, but it it's doing that. Um, on my Mac, I actually have it running. I have a folder that all my current working writing documents are in called stories. It's on Dropbox. Yeah, I thought so. And then I've got a stories archive. And Hazel, again, looks at that folder and says, if this file is older than whatever, hasn't been modified in however many weeks, kick it into the archive. So the stories folder never gets too big. It's always basically just my most recent stuff.
0: I'm interested by this stories folder thing. What if you started something and then you just leave it for a while? Would it not just get automatically
1: archived? Eventually, eventually after whatever, a month or something, it would move to the archive. And that happens occasionally where I start something and I want to retrieve it. But that's why the archive exists. right Stories archive is literally just a different folder. So I don't, mostly because like if I'm on Dropbox, if I'm loading something from a cloud service, I don't want a folder with a thousand things in it, right? So yeah. it, it'll only have a dozen, maybe, do you, or two do dozen. Do you like
0: the mental break of it as well? So when you're looking at that folder of stuff, it doesn't seem like it's an overwhelming amount?
1: Honestly, for me, it's mostly about navigation. It's about okay. it's about syncing and about the fact that sometimes, especially on iOS, the sort is wrong. And you end up, sort it's sorted by the wrong thing. Yeah. Or it's sorted backward of the right thing. So like the oldest is at the top. And that's a, when nonsense like that happens, it's a lot easier if there's only 12 things in there than if there are a hundred. So it's mostly about that about just like not having the list be too long mm-hmm. um, rather than any kind of like mental overhead. But this is my long way of saying that my, my really my biggest bit of digital spring cleaning, so to speak, is that I, I decided to wire up a lot of my maintenance tasks to Hazel on my Mac so that I don't have to do them. I just have the robot basically do them for me.
0: That's a really good, that's a really, good, yeah. Hazel is a very interesting application. I have it do a couple of things for me, nothing too much. I like just move some, uh, it clears out like download folders, it clears oh, yeah. out podcast scratch folders, stuff like that.
1: I've got that too, where it takes stuff that's been, uh, also, also things in my trash. If I don't empty the trash after a certain point, if something's been sitting in the trash for a week or two weeks or whatever, it just deletes it and says forget, it's gone.
0: Yeah. Which is nice. It's just a nice thing yeah. to have. It's especially useful if you have like a connected machine. Like a machine that's just like connected to a network. It can do a bunch of interesting yeah. stuff there, like moving things from place to place. Yep. You put something in a folder and it triggers an action to be occurred to it. It's yeah, very I've thought about.
1: I've thought about building more of that stuff and and I might someday, but the idea here, as with any, and this is user automation even if you don't write any scripts, it's user automation. They've got a rule-based thing to do Hazel, mm-hmm. but um I, it, the great thing about user automation is if there's a dumb repetitive task and you can pretty easily codify what the rules are. <laughs> It's much better to have like an automated system do it for you so your brain never has to deal with it. And Hazel is actually a great way for Mac users to do that if you're acting especially on files. like mm-hmm. the, sometimes you have to think of the logic of it you'd be like, what is my you know reasoning here? But once you figure it out, it's really great because you figure out the rule, it takes you a couple of minutes and then you never ever think about that thing again. It's pretty great until it breaks. Until it breaks. That that can happen. Yeah. It's a computer. Computers ruin everything. But I did just uh, realize one of
0: mine is broken, which is huh. it's, it's not Hazel's fault. So I have had for years Dropbox automatically look at my camera roll through the Dropbox iOS app whenever I open it and just upload photos to the camera uploads folder. And then I have Hazel scripts looking at that, taking those photos and then just uh, sorting them by date, and putting them in their own folders in just a Dropbox. Like, I just have, like, a very large Dropbox folder with tons of photos in it, organized by year and month. I've had this going for years just as, like, a tertiary backup, right? I have my photos backed up in multiple places. This is just one of them. But I have now just realized, as we were talking about this, that I never turned on camera uploads when I got my new iPhone. So since September, none of these photos have backed up. So I now need mm-hmm. to turn that on, m- manually make sure all those photos are in there, and turn all the scripts back on again.
1: I have a um, a script that broke that is a uh, Dr. Drang, the internet's favorite... Snowman. Snowman, yes. Uh, he wrote... because So he flies a lot out of Midway Airport, which is a, in Chicago, which is a Southwest Airlines airport. And I fly a lot of Southwest out of San Francisco and mm-hmm. Oakland. And he wrote a script that's great, because Southwest, you have to check in 24 hours before to get your seat assignment, well, not seat assignment, your line assignment. And so the faster you check in, if you check in right 24 hours before, you'll get to board the plane faster whereas if you don't pay attention and you check in 18 hours before or whatever, you will be at the end of the line and you might not get a a, a place to put your bag. Yeah. So you really I have to that. do it 20 24 hours before. And I love Southwest Airlines because I've just I mean I've internalized all of it. Dr. Drang Points out that there um, the calendar scripts that you download from or calendar files you download from Southwest are not as informative as they should be, and so he he wrote a a, a script that rewrites the ICS file mm-hmm. to put the like your, your registration code, your, your, you know, in code and uh, in the title of the event and more detail and it automatically sets two alarms, one for 24 hours in advance and one for 24 hours and 15 minutes in advance. Um, huh. It's great. It, it actually, I mean, it's brilliant because he rewrote the ICS file that you download from southwest.com to be way better formatted. Um, and then, it, and, and then it can, you know, you can add it to your calendar um so i started using it and i love it and i and it it runs on a hazel uh script where um when i had it set to download when it downloads an ics file and the way dr drang set it up is and the ics file contains the string southwest airlines which it does then um run this script and then add it to the calendar uh and that broke and it turns out i think it broke because fantastical 3 has a quick look plugin <laughs> for ICS files and it seems to make the ability to look inside the file it makes the file opaque not quite not 100% on this but this is my guess so now now if you say it contains the the inside of the file contains this text it fails because now for whatever reason it can't see inside that file. Hmm. Um, and so it stopped working, but for that, I, um, one of the nice things about the way, uh, Safari is set up in OS 10 is Apple's system is tracking what site you downloaded files from so yeah. that they can warn you. They can say, this is a file downloaded from Southwest or Southwest.com. So, uh, and, uh, uh Hazel will work with that. So I actually just changed my thing to say uh-huh. if it's an ICS file and the f- place it was downloaded from is southwest.com then run the script. Yeah. And it does it. And it's like magic cuz you click the button and the file comes down, it gets rewritten by Dr. Drang's script and my calendar app pops up and says what calendar would you like to add this to? And then it's got there with all the alarms and everything. It's pretty awesome. So that's just an example like uh, These things can be super complicated or super simple. And yes, the more complicated they are, the more likely they are to break. But I still recommend it. Great snell talk question.
0: Yeah. Maybe part of people's spring cleaning routines is to make sure that their automations are still working.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and I was going to say, I was going to say, take, if if you're a spring cleaning aficionado, maybe take a minute to think, are there repetitive tasks that I do that I hate? Mm-hmm. That could easily be automated in some way on the iPad or on the iPhone or on the Mac with the tools that are available. Yeah, I, I use shortcuts to do stuff. Yeah, I mean, you can use shortcuts. And Hazel's a great example where it's not Automator. It's not Apple script. It's not a Perl script. It's not, a, you know, it's it's none of those things. It's a nice Mac app that will help you. And uh, Keyboard Maestro is a nice Mac app that will help you. And yes, shortcuts on iOS can help you too. So maybe that's part of your spring cleaning ritual is, could I automate this?
0: Spring into automation. That's the theme here. Great. Summer fun. Summer fun. No, no. Oh, spring boy. of
1: automation.
0: This spring of automation, summer of fun. What was it fall of discontent? <laughs> fall of no content? Or something like that? I think that was what we were going for. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much to Doug for sending that question in. Uh, you can always send in questions to help us start the show with the hashtag SnellTalk. Jason, we've mentioned on a previous episode that we would talk about if we found uh, Apple Arcade games that we thought were particularly good. Now, I have one here. This doesn't mean that there hasn't been any good ones since the last time. What it does mean is I have not been playing as many iOS games as I would like over the last few months. Same. But when Crossy Road Castle appeared, I immediately checked Uh it out because I love the original Crossy Road. Yep. And I was really keen to see what a follow-up game from these developers would be ...on Apple Arcade, because the obvious continuation is like diving deeper into free-to-play mechanics, right? Like in the IAP stuff, but if it's mm-hmm. an Apple Arcade, they're not going to have that. So I was really keen to see what this game was... And it is very, very different to Crossy Road. So it, it has a lot of visual things and some ideas in, you know, you can collect different characters and stuff. But it is effectively like a room slash dungeon running, solving platform game.
1: So Yeah, it's 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 got more in common with a Mario, a classic Mario definitely. game than it does with Frogger.
0: And I typically do not enjoy games where you have like fake buttons like left, right and jump, but mm-hmm. the mechanics are so simple, and it seems like the recognition of your movements is really refined very well. So I like it, and also it's lots of evolving mechanics. You're only ever doing one thing for a very short period of time. You get through a room, you go to a new room, a new puzzle to solve, and they're using different ways of traversing the environment. It's a fun mm-hmm. game. It's I really enjoy it. So you should try this one if you haven't.
1: I have also played this game a lot, yeah. and it's great Isn't fun. It great? And if it hits the spot in terms of it being like a good casual game where I can play it a little bit and have fun and then set it aside and I'm not committing to a lot of time and it, it, and it provides you know action and it starts out easy and then it gets progressively harder and you have to solve the puzzles and learn the new mechanics. And yeah, I, uh, if you're an Apple Arcade person give it a shot and it's got a multiplayer mode and it's got a controller mode and i haven't tried any of those i think those would actually be a lot of fun but i've just been using touch controls on my ipad because that's primarily how i play games and uh it's it's a lot of fun
0: yeah i've been playing on my iphone because that's how if i'm going to play an ios game it tends to be there so yeah this is a great addition if you haven't checked it out already you should um i want to talk about the touch on the smart keyboard again from last week's episode Uh, we had a question from from mike that maybe we didn't Completely talk about. I know I didn't mention my feelings on it about whether we would run mine, a function row on a smart keyboard. Yeah, I, right. I I know that you I know that you mentioned it because you replied to Mike on Twitter and said so. <laughs> uh, but we didn't really talk. About, I don't. We didn't really get into depth of it. And what sure. I kind of wanted to know is like, what functions would you actually want on a smart keyboard, like an iPad focused keyboard? Well,
1: the, the truth about the function row is that the the way Apple because. You know the the wrong thing to do is to say, "Well, the function row is dumb because it's F one, F four, F eight, whatever." People don't use that. But Apple already threw that out and redefined it. And the function row on Apple devices means something completely different. It's brightness adjustment, mm-hmm. and it's screen you know screen brightness adjustment, and potentially backlighting adjust, adjustment. If especially if there was a backlit uh, keyboard, um, the media controls are there, right? Uh, they, there are some multitasking or, or uh, on Mac, it's like mission control stuff that's up there. So for me, I use on other keyboards on the iPad, I use it to adjust screen brightness and do media control all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, we also know that in the next version of iOS uh, or iPad OS 13, among the new keyboard commands are these ability to bind keys to different functions. I
0: cannot wait to bind the escape key on every keyboard that I connect to my iPad
1: to home. So that's imagine, be so good. imagine being able to um, potentially bind those function keys to other things too. So you could you could fire off scripts or do other commands or things from there. So I think that's where it's going, and that's why I want the function keys. But the primary reason is um, is for brightness and media control because I do that all the time. And reaching up and sl- reaching up to the screen to the top right, sliding down to get control center to make it a little bit brighter or a little bit darker is really annoying. And on my Mac, I can do that on the keyboard and I do all my media controls on the keyboard and I can't, it, it's frustrating that I can't do that on the smart keyboard. So I feel like it's a real missing thing that that Apple could address. They could get away with doing it via other keyboard shortcuts if they they made it that you could assign system-wide keyboard shortcuts of any kind. But I think it's a more likely scenario that they'd have a little tiny function row up there with, with uh, controls, device controls on it. I would,
0: the types of controls I always want to see, like home, uh, to be able to access multitasking is good. Uh, I would like um, to be able to bring up the emoji keyboard, stuff like that would be, I would really like. So those are uh-huh. the types of things that I would love to see on an on a iPad focused um, function row, because I don't think yeah. all of the same really apply. And I like that on the bridge keyboard, they have like a home button and stuff like that, and a bring yeah, up lock, the keyboard. A lock and, button. Yeah, and a dictation button, if that's something that you want. Like, they're all useful things where you can add different functions. Um, What about, I mean, okay, so imagine a world where money and engineering was no object. What about a touch bar on a product like this? We had somebody write into to us about that. Like, I don't think that Apple could or would do it right now but i can imagine they would probably like to
1: i mm, i don't know i mean i i feel like the touch bar is apple trying to bring ipad technology to Mm -hmm. the mac Mm -hmm. and so i'm not sure it really makes any sense on the ipad um Mm -hmm. also technically right like I think the amount of power it draws is probably not something that could be done with the smart connector. And I think that the, the thickness and the weight of it, Mm -hmm, like mm it's going to make it a super thick, heavy thing. One, one way I thought it could be done. I don't think
0: they're going to do this, but like e-ink could be a way to, to make it maybe a cheaper (laughs) and lighter and easier to use touch bar. But at that point, why even bother? But it could be a way.
1: Yeah. I, this, remember back to the Mac? This would be like back to the iPad. It's like yep. We built this thing to make iPad things on uh, on the Mac, and now we're bringing it back to the iPad, where mm-hmm. it's uh, just a thing again? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just think technically it's not possible right now. It's an interesting question I had never considered, which is, what about a touch bar? But it's like, I, I can't see it because I think it would require some massive re-engineering, and I'm not quite sure it would make sense, and it would make it a much heavier kind of product, mm-hmm. and... Uh, does Apple want to go down that route of making a bridge-style keyboard that basically turns your iPad into a full-on laptop, including the weight? My my gut feeling is no, that they want to still keep it kind of light so that people will walk around with the iPad with this keyboard. Um, we'll see. By the way, before we move on, I have to mention another amazing piece of feedback we got, which is I made a joke last week about how maybe the solution to backlighting on the smart keyboard Pro on the new iPad Pro could be front lighting where there'd be like a spotlight on the iPad Pro that would shine down on the keyboard so you could see your fingers. Um this really happened, uh, apparently the I think the ThinkPad, the I, old IBM ThinkPads at one point had this feature where they would they would put a little light down to shine on the keyboard mm-hmm. so you could see it. So I, I was just kidding, but somebody actually thought that was a good idea once.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Previs Pro. If you make films or create videos, you probably, I'm assuming, you will already know the importance of using storyboards to design that perfect shot. It is a very important way for planning out visual work like this. Previs Pro is a brand new iOS app built for storyboarding film and video. It was created by the founder of the developer Freeverse, who is a winner of multiple Apple Design Awards. Unless you're a trained artist, your storyboards may just be stick figures, which can make it hard to experiment with and harder to share to really show off your great ideas. If you'd rather create set-ready storyboards with three-dimensional scenes, camera movements, lens, and lighting information, then you should be giving Previs Pro for your iPhone or iPad a try. You can create storyboards anywhere, at any time, even on set and under pressure. You can experiment with camera angles, movements or sequences, save the shots you like, discard the ones you don't, and then import your final draft screenplay. What used to take hours can now take just minutes. Previs Pro comes with hundreds of customizable props, characters, and structures, and you can use photos to build your own as well and even use their ar features to bring everything to life it has monthly annual and lifetime payment options but you can try previs pro absolutely free for a week through the app store just search previs pro that's p-r-e-v-i-s pro p-r-e-v-i-s pro just search for that in the app store install and start creating right now our thanks to previs pro for their support of this show and all of relay fm all right jason snell Uh, I wanted to tell you about the App Store Review Guidelines. I know that they're your favorite thing. I know you love poring over the App Store Review Guidelines, but there's a couple of changes that I wanted to mention. One of them, which is kind of follow-up, is that you remember we were talking about signing with Apple and we hadn't seen it very much. But well, the deadline has been set. Sign in with Apple must be featured and implemented by April 30th. That's the deadline. And I don't know about you, but I've been seeing it more and more recently. Like I noticed it on the Dropbox app. I've noticed it in Creative Cloud. So developers are implementing uh, sign in with Apple now, um, which is fun. I mean, even setting up an Android phone, it's fun to see it there, right? So you, if you download Dropbox for Android, there is a sign in with Apple button because they have to offer that, right? Because if if that's how you set up your account on iOS, that's where your account information is. So that was kind of a funny thing to see. But another thing is Apple have clarified, I think finally... Um, how advertising can be used in push notifications. So this is what the new guidelines say. Push notifications should not be used for promotions or direct marketing purposes unless customers have explicitly opted in to receive them via consent language displayed in your app's UI and you provide a method in your app for a user to opt out from receiving such messages. Abuse of these services may result in revocation of your privileges. So previously, this wording kind of said that the practice was not allowed at all, that you could not use push notifications for marketing. And we've seen over time, this is kind of like a meme on Twitter of not only companies breaking this rule, but Apple themselves, right? Just like, here's a push notification about Apple TV. Here's a push notification about the credit card stuff. so. You would expect now, I think now that they've refined this, that maybe they will be enforcing these rules. So companies that are sending them without opt-in or without a way to opt out would be would be good. So there you go. That's that's just something I wanted to mention. All right. I think it's important. Um, and I hope to see Apple as well as other companies kind of uh, paying attention to this. I also had one piece of upstream follow up for you, Jason. So, mm-hmm. on last episode, I said that the Simpsons were not confirmed to come to Disney Plus, uh, but it turns out now they are. This is fascinating. So, on March 3rd, so I think it was the day after our episode, Sky and Disney announced a deal that would allow Sky to sell and display Disney Plus on their SkyCube box. It's like their set-top box, which is a bit of an omnibox, right? You can get Netflix on it and stuff like that, like it has apps. You still have to pay but you pay through Sky, and I think Sky take a cut is my assumption. Um, But Disney uh, and Sky came to this arrangement. The deal also gave Sky the, quote, first pay window rights to a bunch of upcoming 20th century films, so they would get it before any other service, right? Before it would then go to Disney+, Plus, presumably. The very next day, Disney announced that Simpsons would be a part of Disney+. Plus. So obviously (laughs) as part of this deal, Disney were like, look, we're going to give you all of this we want to share the Simpsons rights now. And so I assume that's what's happened because now uh, Disney Plus have confirmed that all of Simpsons will be on the service. So I think that's great because there's a lot of content. That's a lot of content for Disney Plus. And I think if a territory doesn't have something as big as the like 300 episodes of the Simpsons, it makes it less of a good deal. You know like to know that like oh this great content is available in other markets but we can't get it but we're still paying the same amount of money like that would have been frustrating so i'm pleased to see that so that it was just a funny way that it all unfolded is one of those like things that seem to be on behind closed doors that get out and this is one of them i just thought it was funny should talk about coronavirus I think we have to. Yeah. I think we can't escape it. Do I like talking about it? No, not really. Uh, Because it's, you know, this is one of those things where like world events bleed into technology, but it is bleeding in in a big way. And there's a lot of interesting things coming out of it. So let's talk about it. So since our last episode, Jason, Google have officially canceled Google I.O., this was uh, set for May. Right. Um, that Google had already announced it people had already been in the lottery they bought their tickets uh, Google is refunding the tickets and anybody who won a ticket in the lottery automatically gets entered in for the
1: next year Yeah, I think they can even choose I think they can choose like 21, 22 or 23 Like that's you can, if, if you can't do next year you could defer it even further which is even better yeah.
0: I didn't know that part yeah. but that's even better Google haven't been completely clear yet what their plans are going to be for IO um, I think it's clear to assume what they're going to be probably exactly the same as what we expect apples will be that they will do a media well possibly media invited event where they should do their keynote and they'll do that somewhere else probably at their headquarters and then they'll have video events and, and video content going out for uh, their developers the same as they would have anyway but it will all be made without anybody uh, in an audience so yeah that's that. Apple pulled out South by Southwest. Uh, they, Apple, were going to be showing off trailers and stuff with new content coming to Apple TV Plus. Then South by Southwest was cancelled. So yeah, it wasn't because of that. But you
1: can't fire us. We quit. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The the whole thing, um, the whole thing got cancelled. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, Apple had already, along with a lot of people. The way this generally works is that these events that have multiple participants, the participants all start dropping out, and then it gets cancelled. Um, or postponed sometimes there's we're going to be asking the question a lot uh, over the next few months about what is when is a cancellation when is a postponement what is Mm -hmm. the difference because some of these like the comic-con in uh seattle got postponed till summer um which is great except you try to imagine like how are they going to find all the hotel rooms and uh and the conference center space in the summer if they can even have it then um and it's a question of is a is a postponement a soft cancellation? I think a lot of the
0: postponements are like wishful thinking.
1: Yeah, on the part of the <laughs> organizer. No, I think I think so because we don't. And the fact is, we don't really know how this is going to go. But yeah, I think that some of it is softens the blow. We're just going to postpone. Gives them the option to fully cancel it later, but lets them keep their options open.
0: Uh, Santa Clara County in California, which is a county that includes San Jose, which is particularly and also Cupertino and everywhere, hey, Cupertino yeah mm-hmm. has urged technology companies to consider cancelling any large-scale events They have not as some people are kind of claiming said you cannot do this they are saying we would prefer if you wouldn't yeah right they yeah. haven't made a rule but they are making guidance.
1: It's another little uh, increment toward the cancellation of WWDC and something that we have been talking about for a while, And, um, you know, I think I not not only do I have a hard time believing that they would have WWDC now, but I assume they've already decided not to have it. And it's all about coming out with the strongest announcement of what the replacement for it, if there is one, is going to look like rather than it being, you know, I don't think that we haven't heard from Apple because they're debating it. I suspect Apple has decided not to do it and is trying to figure out how to go out with a message of what the new thing will be like because how can you your county is saying don't do this Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i don't know how you can say no what we would like to do is fly in from all over the world thousands of people and then have them in close quarters in santa clara and uh have our most important uh platform building employees also in that building and they'll all like bump into each other and stuff and then we'll all go back seems like a bad idea seems, seems like, like a really a bad idea, idea at
0: all doesn't it uh then uh john prosser the youtube channel front page tech claims that they have an internal source at apple stating there will not be a media event for products in march uh Prosser's kind of i've been, I've been seeing him around recently um with lots of sources and stuff that seems to be turning out true so You know, I take this he also published a memo, which was also obtained by Bloomberg, from Tim Cook to Apple employees urging them to work at home where possible this coming week. So the idea of a no media event for products in March doesn't mean no products in March, but we also don't know, right? So they could just release products. They could do briefings if they wanted to. But again, it is not wild to assume that apple do not want to have lots of people come to their campus right now for practical reasons and for public relations reasons you don't just you don't want to be assembling you don't want to be seen assembling mm-hmm. hundreds of people
1: and as we discussed last week apple can do product rollouts without events they don't need the events we saw it with the 16-inch MacBook Pro they can do small scale briefings mm-hmm. with people and You know, with with journalists in controlled environments, one-on-one, one-on-two, you know, a group of 10, group of five, they can do those things where they can kind of have more control over it and not have the big public environment. And those, those groups are much smaller, right? It's not every single person from that giant theater, met in a small group it's a it's a much smaller group of people who actually get those conversations to happen and uh and roll out the pro the products that way they absolutely can do that and this is this is sort of what my gut feeling was a a few weeks ago is that the solo events become briefings (laughs) and the giant events become solo events maybe um and and you know everything gets taken back a notch in terms of human interaction because that's where we are right now Mm
0: mm-hmm which is the right way to go, and in the same way, like Apple is, along with many companies, tech companies, telling their people to work at home where they can. They're guaranteeing uh people that work in situations that can't be worked from home, like if you maybe work on site for some reason and you cannot take, you cannot do the work that you do from home. Apple is guaranteeing the the hourly rates for those people, which I think is the right thing to do. Uh, yeah. Some Apple retail sure. stores are canceling events and removing a portion of their seats to discourage people hanging around
1: yeah, I heard from people uh, who work in Apple retail that this is you know their their approach is evolving even if they 're not you know closing stores they're canceling high profile events and and you know field trips and all of this stuff they're they're not doing that stuff um they're they're scaling everything back mm-hmm and the, it sounds like, um, the retail stores, you know, they have those seats, they have chairs and they have those little cubes, those little wood cubes. It sounds like they've, they've all been instructed to take about half of those out of the store. The idea there is reduce the density, discourage people from hanging around because they want to kind of reduce the load of concern of, of of potential threat in the Apple Store. This is not a time for big congregations, including at Apple retail. So I think we'll see more of this, even if they stay open. The idea that you know we're gonna we're gonna phase out events for a while. We're gonna we're gonna phase out seating areas so that it we're not encouraging town hall town squares or whatever. Like we don't really want you hanging about in a large groups. We want you to kind of come in and then and then head back out again because that's where we are right now. And look, something we can't comprehend right
0: now, and we really can't, is how this is going to impact technology and Apple's products over the next year. Like every day I'm seeing different reports from analysts about whether there is or isn't delays on products. Right now, you know, people are saying, "Oh, it's going to be delayed for months." And other people are saying like, "Apple got it all done." So it is just not possible for us to see but we will as yeah. time goes on over the next few months we'll get we the literally idea. don't
1: know if that March post March event postponement is because it's an event or because they can't get the products yep we don't or both right it's probably yep. both the only one we're we don't know. know
0: for sure is the iPhone when does the iPhone come out then we'll know if Apple was here because everything else we don't know but you know there's an iPhone in September but if the iPhone comes out in October then we'll see ah okay that was the that Was the effect that was had on them? Um, this is uncharted territory room right now. Every day it's changing, it's wild. Yeah, talking about new products. Friend of the show, Ming Chi Kuo, has reported that Apple is working on six products that feature mini LED screen technology that will debut sometime from now until the end of 2021.
1: Okay, first off, I don't think Ming Chi Kuo knows who we are,
0: <laughs> but He's we a like fr- him. He's he
1: an unrequited friend, like the show yeah. likes him. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, we consider I consider Minchiko a friend. Okay. Good. 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 Mini LED. By the way, this is this is not the like micro LED that has been talked about. That's like almost like OLED. It's a as a competitor for OLED. Mini LED. Uh, and we'll link, Cena did a nice explainer about it, but like mini LED is smaller banks of LED backlighting. Any screen that does LED, you've got the screen and then you've got light behind it shining through it. And on TVs, you can have this sort of like active backlighting where these uh, these these dimming zones, like if it's darker, they get darker. And if it's brighter, they get brighter. And it's a way to, since you can't control every single pixel like OLED or micro LED to get more dynamic range. So like I've got a a active dimming uh, TV and it's not, it's HDR, but it's not an OLED. And as a result, it's you, and sometimes you can see it, it's dimming zones of the screen. Well, mini LED, those zones are a lot smaller. The way it's described by the, the CNET explainer is that if you took the screen off and just saw the mini LED display behind it, what you would see is, um like a super low resolution black and white version of the picture if that makes sense so you know it's it's the pixels if you will these 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 backlight areas are a lot smaller which means that the darker parts get darker and the lighter parts get lighter and you end up with a more refined backlighting scheme that gets you a better quality picture and the brighter stuff seems brighter and the darker stuff seems darker and you get better dynamic range so mini led just to be clear it is a more advanced and precise active backlighting system not an oled like thing where every pixel is controlling its own light that's micro led or oled
0: So the products that will be getting this technology, because clearly this is something that Apple is looking to roll out to everything, it would appear. So over the next two years, 12.9-inch iPad Pro, 10.2-inch iPad, 16-inch MacBook Pro, the 14.1-inch MacBook Pro, which is a product that doesn't currently exist. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and 7.9 inch ipad mini sometime in 2020 and 27 inch imac pro in q4 2020 do, do, do. Wait, is that a new imac pro i hear <gasps> should, yes believe oh. it or not it, the the product is not uh dead what is it like rumors of my death were greatly exaggerated greatly exaggerated, exaggerated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Quote did not give dates for any other of the products in this report but I guess some there's some logic you can apply here. Like one, you would not expect the first uh, iPad to get this technology to be the iPad mini. That seems that would seem peculiar um, unless they radically redesigned the iPad mini and made it like a new big thing. Uh but the 12.9 inch iPad has been rumored to be getting a second update some if it after the first update if that ever comes. So it could be then in September. Uh, and I guess you would also expect to see a 14-inch MacBook earlier than than, like, the end of the year.
1: Yeah, it, what's unclear here is: are there other device generations before the mini LED technology? Exactly. Because obviously, Min Chi Quo's source here is an mini LED manufacturer or component manufacturer, mm-hmm. so he can say oh, uh, there's going to be a 14.1-inch MacBook Pro with mini LED. And we're like, oh, there isn't one of those now. That's interesting. There could still be a 14.1-inch MacBook Pro using the old technology in between now and then, or not, we don't know. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of interesting things here. I think
0: really the, the thing that I like the most about this report is the iPad mini and the iMac Pro because... I like the idea of the iPad Mini continuing. I like the idea of the iPad Mini getting new technology because it means we could see a redesigned iPad Mini, which could be a very interesting product, right? An iPad Mini with Face ID and super th- thin bezels, that's like a little pocket computer. Like, I, I like yeah. the thought of that product. Um, oh. And also, the fact that the iMac Pro is going to continue is interesting. Uh, It would be funny in a way for me because, like, if that is, I mean, I don't think we'll see probably any change to the iMac Pro until then, maybe. That would be funny because of just how long it would have been around for, and it basically then reminds me of the Mac Pro.
1: (laughs) Q4 2020 is the end of this year. Yep. That's not surprising to me at all. Like, if he had said 2021, I would have been like, wow, that's... But, you know, Q4 2020, so it's, yeah, it's a three-year cycle Mm -hmm. for it, in the and in the... Meantime, they built the Mac Pro. I don't yeah. think that's unrealistic. And I, I would hope that they would, you know, it would keep getting updates every couple of years uh, from now on yeah. if they're going to keep it around, yeah. which I, I think they should. I mean, I don't know if we've ever given our full case for the iMac Pro, but like I think it's embedded in our discussion of the Mac Pro over the last few years, which is the Mac Pro is an extreme product. The iMac Pro is less extreme and has a lot going for it unless you need the expansion stuff. But like for most users, even the iMac is pretty powerful. The iMac Pro is a great buy. If you don't need that internal stuff, if you don't need cards and internal storage and all the other stuff that the Mac Pro gives you, you just need processor power. Uh, the imac pro is pretty great and i love mine
0: yeah and and that's exactly it right like we i mean i can't i don't i don't want to pay and i can't i can't really afford the mac pro that i would want honestly but the imac pro gives me all of the power that i need in a form factor that i want because i also don't need to buy a monitor um it makes it a great machine it makes it the the pro machine that we want it makes it the pro machine that we would have bought right like a Mac Pro in this kind of price range is the product we would have had if the iMac Pro didn't exist. So, it's kind of perfect for that. So, it, it, I am also very pleased to see that it is continuing to persist as a product in Apple's lineup.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, this is this is fascinating stuff. The the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, there's a question like does that mean that there are two iPad Pros but only the big one gets the mini LED? that would make Technology. sense if they the, you know if they
0: if they are going to do a second revision in one year which is not out of the ordinary like it's not unheard of that they may just do it to one of them right not like overturn the entire uh ipad pro product line yeah. in in with it, twice it could also
1: be it could also be that what they're planning on rolling out is this right because it's it's between now and the end of 2021 maybe their first mini led product is the ipad pro 12.9 Mm-hmm. And it gets that now and the 11 doesn't. And they say, you know, because I think I think it's not terrible for Apple to say the bigger iPad Pro has some things that the smaller iPad Pro doesn't. Right. Yep. Like some a little bit of differentiation. Right now, they're identical. A little bit of differentiation is not terrible. This episode is also brought to you
0: by DoorDash. It's 2020 and delivery is way more than just pizza stuff. If you're busy, you don't always have time to cook. And with a selection of favorite flavors from across the globe, DoorDash lets you order world cuisine or from the comfort of your living room. Getting your meal delivered means you can take back time in your day to finish that project, get that workout in, or finish up some chores. Ordering is super easy. You can open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Your favorite restaurant is probably already on DoorDash, but there are over 310,000 restaurants in over 4,000 cities With door-to-door delivery in all 50 US states, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can order from your favorite local go-to's or choose from national restaurant chains like Chipotle, Wendy's, Cheesecake Factory, and many more. I bet for many people, Jason, right now, DoorDash is a great option. Lots of people working from home at the moment, right?
1: I I, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's... It'll be interesting to see what the dynamic is here. But yeah, I imagine people are ordering a lot of, or ordering in, right? Yeah, nice
0: and convenient. Yeah, I mean, I am. So it's very convenient. This is a great thing to do because, you know, maybe you want to have your favorite food, but you maybe want to have it at home or maybe you have to have it at home. And this is a great way to get that done. And right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code UPGRADE. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and use the promo code UPGRADE. Download the app right now, start planning your dinner, and use that promo code to get $5 off your first order order from Doordash upgrade upgrade our thanks to Doordash for their support of this show and relay FM okay so 9 to five Mac Zach Hall at 9 to5 Mac has been breaking stories left and right during our uh, show as well so yeah. we have a lot of stuff to talk about here today breaking breaking news breaking news we have a few different stories we're going to cover them all first up is iOS 14 cursor support quote a rich system-wide support for mouse cursors in
1: iPadOS. Uh, wow. Yeah, so this is this is the big one. And th- this is something we theorized about mm-hmm. when we were talking about the rumors of a trackpad on those keyboards that they might build in, you know, text cursor support or the assisted touch support or some combination thereof now. But then iOS 14 had better figure it out, right? Like put it together. In one way. And this leaked code that they say is from iOS 14 suggests that Apple is going to, if you've got a connected pointing device, it's going to give you a cursor, not a big floating invisible finger thingy you know virtual cursor finger
0: with the hand or the pointer like the real yeah that ones.
1: that that, that the, the cursor will actually change based on context like it does on the Mac and then it will it will submarine it will disappear when um when you're not driving it because obviously if you have no pointing device attached you won't ever see it but mm-hmm. if you do have a pointing device attached you'll see it when you're moving it and then or if you'll decided- stop and it'll you
0: totally. want to change over to touch, right? So, like, you, you, your, your right. mouse is attached, but you want to start using it. Well, the cursor doesn't need to be there at that point.
1: Exactly, exactly. So this so, is, uh, yeah, this is big. Uh, the report
0: claims that there are two smart keyboards in development. Maybe one has the touch bar, Jason. (laughs) The other one doesn't. Mm. Uh, (laughs) Which I'm I'm kidding. Um, But as a quote from the article, the presence of new smart keyboard models in these gestures heavily suggests that the keyboard accessory will feature a standard laptop-like trackpad. Yeah, there's even tap to click apparently as yep. one of the options here. Although so, another quote, although we could not find information of the physical shape of the new accessories, the code findings imply a standard laptop-like design of a keyboard above and large trackpad below. Mm-hmm. Now, my question on this series. really is, it kind of is basically what we were talking about last time. I would expect and hope that there is an iOS 13 stepping stone. Which well, you can't release a trackpad
1: this. that doesn't do anything, exactly. right? So there has to be something. And my guess is either it will be some quick refinements to assistive touch or it will be that text editing only thing I I'm I really think the most likely scenario is that out of the box it'll do text editing and then you can turn on assisted touch assistive touch mm-hmm. and that's how they'll sell it and then in a you know in a later OS release iOS 14, they will have more proper cursor support and it gives every developer the chance to think about that for next time
0: Do you think that there's any chance that When Apple released this product that they would say, and we are working on
1: more. I I think there is a chance. I, I think there is a chance that they will release this and say, here's how it works text editing, you can turn on this other feature and then coyly saying something like, you can you can expect to, to see more of this in the future or we're working yeah. on other great innovations in terms of cursor support on iOS. Stay tuned for that. Because think,
0: wouldn't it seem that this is one of those situations where the hardware team got ahead of the software team?
1: Exactly. And so yeah. that's one of those things where you can't sync these things up and, and everybody knows there's going to be a next version of iPad OS. So for them to say, we got more in store so this is just the beginning, and the that why not say that like that that doesn't they don't even need to disclose what it is right they can keep that secrecy but it lets Apple say um, we're just getting started right can't move a cursor my ass <laughs> something like that they'll never regret that yeah exactly so I, I'm excited I'm genuinely so excited <laughs> this is exactly what I wanted right like yeah I know I kind of don't believe it is it a, is this a trick. Mike? Are they playing <laughs> a trick punked? on us? <laughs> is, is Zach and and everybody at nine to five Mac? Are they tricking us? Is Benj- Benjamin Mayo and uh, they're all uh, they, The they, fix is in, Jason. They're, they're they're tricking us. They're telling us everything we want to hear, and then there'll be a yoink moment at some point when we realize that it's it's all a lie, and there is no trackpad, and there is no cursor. It feels like that a little bit. Like this is almost too good to be true, but mm-hmm. apparently it is true. So that's too good.
0: We have a couple of stories about the Apple Watch. So first up, the Apple Watch health sensors. There seem to be some new ones on the way. So Zach is reporting that according to code of an unreleased version of iOS 14, the same one which we didn't mention, but apparently was obtained in December. This build comes from something in December. Who knows how it was obtained, but that's what is being reported uh, that there are two new sensor capabilities for Apple Watch coming. One of them is blood oxygen levels. So this basically just man- monitors the amount of oxygen in your blood. Uh, between 95 and 100% is considered healthy. Uh, blood oxygen levels below 80% could lead to risks. Yeah, It's possible, I guess, that this sensor would require new hardware, like it would need to be a different sensor. I don't it, know, it, but I assume you would so. Think,
1: you would think it would, although I've, what I've heard is that The hardware on some Apple Watches has been able to do this for a long time, but it hasn't been allowed, it hasn't been regulated, and they haven't built it in. Because, but so it, I, I assume this would be on a new Apple Watch, but it's possible that it could not be. And if you've ever had the little thing like clipped to your finger where they just, I mean, it doesn't. You can do this through skin, like now, but it's these big plastic things that go on the tip of your finger, and then mm-hmm. they look at your blood oxygen level because it's shining a really bright light, basically, <laughs> looking at the at the blood under your under your skin. So, um, it's a it's a thing that it's it's another data point that that could be added to health data and and logged, and alerts could pop up and stuff like that
0: for sure. And there's also uh, some improvements coming to the ECG function on the Apple Watch. So currently Series 4 and 5 Apple Watches are not very good. They have inconclusive readings when a heart rate is between 100 and 120 beats per minute. But this is going to be taken care of and fixed. I'm assuming this will just be like a software update and previous watches will benefit from this because it seems more like a... Missing feature or bug than anything else.
1: Unless it's a hardware issue that it's just bad at that and the new ones will be better at that. Good point. I, I, I don't Good know. Point. It's one of the great mysteries. Yep.
0: Uh, Zach Hall reiterates that Apple is developing sleep tracking in one report and then doubles down on it in another report. So there will be links in the show notes for all of these yep. reports. right? So you can go and read them because, there's as is always, more details in these things that we are getting to. Uh, so sleep tracking is going to be coming to the Apple Watch uh, we've heard this for a long time, uh, but you know, sleep goals that you can set inside of the app, recommendations for getting better sleep. You know, like so the health app will say, like, "Hey, why don't you think about this?" And as is usual with this stuff, the more data you can give to it from different uh, areas, the better kind of information it can give back to you. But sleep tracking has seemed like an obvious feature for the Apple Watch for a long time, and it seems like it's going to be coming with. A, at least with WatchOS seven, maybe it needs a new Apple Watch. I don't think so, mm-hmm. but we'll see.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. This is one of those where I feel fairly confident that you know, in the end, you can use this with any Apple Watch, but you're going to need to make sure it's charged. And mm-hmm. i I had it where my Apple Watch was not on the charger uh, overnight one time, and mm-hmm. I got through like mid afternoon the next day before it said, "I'm at ten percent battery, and I'm going to die very soon." So. Um, you know, a scenario where you wear it all night and then charge it in the morning, you know, I, I just think that we we are already there with a lot of these watches. So it should work as long as you find some time to charge it.
0: And I would like to think that like if you were somebody using this feature that maybe the Apple Watch could pop up and be like, hey, you should charge me if you want to do sleep tracking tonight. You know, that kind of thing I think would be kind of nice. You know, like maybe in the middle of the afternoon. So like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to last would be great if you could give me some juice. Uh, as you would expect, a new version of watchOS will bring new watch faces. One of these is the Infograph Pro watch face. Uh, this is going to include a tachymeter. Uh, this is a... Okay, this is a very complex thing to explain, but you will have seen this on some watches where you have that dial around the outside that sometimes can be moved. It makes that little clicking sound. It's a thing for
1: measuring speed and distance. Yeah, it's... I would say this is a, a very much a skeuomorphism feature mm-hmm. where this is a way to measure things that digital watches are great at showing you in lots of different ways, data, but uh, analog watches, watches, you know, old school watches with hands, they had to come up with a way to do it. And it sounds like the tachymeter is basically that way mm-hmm. of doing it. And they're going to do a tachymeter on the Infograph Pro watch face, which is It's just funny, but I think it makes sense that this is a watch concept. So why would you not have it available? It's the same reason that there are hands and a sweeping second hand on the Apple Watch, is because it's it's a a kind of classic thing that feels like a watch, and it's an analog way to display the data.
0: And I would hope that they use this in some fun ways, right? Like you, it's a computer, like could do cool stuff with it. Uh, A photo album watch face, which I think is a good idea. You can currently set. Images as a watch face, but this would actually be a photo album, so it would scroll through. This includes shared albums, which is cute, right? So you could have like a little family shared album on a watch face, and you could all put your images into it, and the watch face could change. We do this with our Echo Show, and it's very nice. So um, I think that's a cool idea. And this is an interesting one, the kid Apple Watch mode. Yeah. So you'll be able to activate a second Apple Watch without a phone, it kind of feels like an MDM type thing, like the mobile device management type stuff, because it would be a watch that's managed by another device, so managed yes. by the phone. You can set what apps and services you want to be installed on it, including a school time mode, which would lock the watch to certain apps and functions during a defined period. Now, let me ask you, Jason, do you think that this would bring different hardware
1: in any way? No, I think this is, I think this is just. Uh being able to like i've got a kid honestly i think that the way that this works the best is i've got a kid and i don't want to give them a phone but i would get them an apple watch cellular even and that way they can call for help they can call me i can see where they are all of those things without having to have a paired apple watch and
0: i expect apple know that people are doing this right
1: yeah and, and i think people want this is a good example where there there's a lot of cases where you give a kid a phone because you need to keep them in touch and you want to see where they are but you really don't want them to have a phone you you know you're, they're they're maybe too young to have a phone you don't think that you want that but you could get them an apple watch and then they're reachable in case of emergencies, you can you can send them texts, all of those things, and all they are is they just have to keep wearing their watch and you can see where they are and all of those things. So I think it's a, a an interesting idea that you have to make happen so it isn't like the premise of the Apple Watch was originally, which is that your watches are all attached to your iPhone and they're your watches. And you don't want that. If you want to give one of these to the kid, you want it to be a different number. You don't want them to see your texts, right? You want to be able to text them and that... So it sounds like they're. This is all part of this larger trend toward making the watch be more standalone and not completely reliant on a specific iPhone. And this is a. Th- this is actually kind of an interesting first step. That eventually this would be for anyone who wants to buy an Apple Watch, but um, but it's just another step along the way where there's a uh, this idea that you can kind of spin off an extra watch for things like for kids and then you know school time. Like FaceTime, having the ability to do parental controls on the watch and limit like what they can do when they're at school is a uh, is a natural thing to fit into this too. And then there's one last report from Zach.
0: Um, I expect there will be more this week, by the way. like We've had a lot in the last 24 hours. Uh, I reckon that this will be another one. Oh, Benjamin Mayo published the iPad uh, article, by the way, the cursor article. We may have miscredited that. So I will we'll now re- reflect. I will change my state on that in case. But yeah, I expect Definitely. there's going to be a lot more at 9 to 5 Mac over the next coming days because they're good like that. Uh, but this one is about over ear AirPods, which is something we've spoken about for a while on the show. Uh, Zach in the chat room says yes to that. So, head, uh, <laughs> head pods uh head pods so there's they've discovered icons in this leaked code um potentially two colors so there is an icon which is white and an icon which is dark i do wonder if that's colors or if it's night mode like dark mode so that's that's my question right do they actually have a white one and a black one or do they have two colors of one icon we're not sure we'll see yeah but why would you show black headphones if they don't exist what I mean is if you turned your UI from light to dark. Anyway. Right. But, but yeah, anyway. Right, but, anyway, Okay. Um, I would love it if we would see these colors on other AirPods, not just on the over-ear ones. Maybe that's something that Apple will do. Uh, 9to5 are saying definitively that these are not Beats headphones. They're classified in the code as AirPods. There isn't really any more information except for the fact that this is uh, iconography which should seem to indicate that they exist. Um. I wonder about this charging. You reckon like probably lightning, right? Would charge these products? Not something mean, put in a battery case, I can't imagine.
1: No, it could be USB-C. I could see that too. Yep. Um, Depending on what cables you think you've got at hand, the Sony over-ear headphones that I bought last year are USB-C charging, and a lot of those are going that way. And I don't know if if your Apple... I mean, you could do lightning because that's what the AirPods case is, is lightning. Um, But uh, I could see it also being USB-C.
0: Whew, what an afternoon already mm.
1: it's a lot of stuff a lot of stuff That's a lot going on lot a mm-hmm. lot going on mm-hmm. in mysterious uh again i have to say what is going on at apple that there's code that is allegedly from ios 14 that has been floating around since december yeah i love the information but if i'm at apple i'm like what is happening why is this happening
0: Well, we don't know. Something's leaking. Something's gotten somewhere it shouldn't be, right? Like that's kind of what's going on here is something has gotten out. Zach does confirm in the chat room that dark mode changes the widget panel color, maintaining the glyph color. So black and white, it would seem to be. Thank you for that Mm -hmm. clarification. Very interesting stuff. Should we do some uh, Ask Upgrade to finish out? I think we should. All right. Today's episode is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Today's internet requires a fast web experience. We all want it. We demand it, right? Like Everybody wants fast internet. They want to be able to get to their websites quickly. No matter how good your content is or how effective your marketing, people are going to leave if your website loads too slowly. And with real user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance is affecting your visitors' experiences, so you can take action before your business is impacted. How people visit your website differs depending on the browser they're using, the device they're using, the platform they're using, so you want to be able to to identify how people experience your website no matter what they're doing, no matter how they come to it. So you're able to make informed optimizations and deliver a great performance to the people that matter most to you everybody. Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, so it's built for scalability at Pingdom. This means that you can monitor millions of page views without compromising the fidelity of your historical data or breaking the bank in the process, and also by using good practices. You can get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash right now for a 14 day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code UPGRADE at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and Relay FM. Time for some hashtag ask upgrade questions. And Sean asks Would you be interested in a much larger iPad, like 20 inches? What would you do with it? and Why would you want that?
1: <laughs> um, I keep thinking about how Apple could at some point make a Surface Studio style product. That's the big kind of. It's like a a Surface iMac and you can pivot it down. It's on like an easel. So you can kind of, you can put it down or it's easel style. Mm -hmm. It it goes down, it goes back up. You can have it with a keyboard and mouse. You can take it down and use the, use a stylus on it. So you could use the Apple pencil on it and touch it, um, but then lift it up and have it be more like a traditional computer thing. I keep thinking like a 4K iPad kind of concept could be pretty cool. Let me tell you, if iPad OS has the ability to do cursors, an external devices like natively on the system. At that point, there's no reason why you couldn't not only ho- uh, hook up an iPad to an external display, but build a device like this that is both yep. keyboard and and trackpad, let's say, or keyboard and mouse and touch with the pencil so that you've got an even bigger surface for things like, especially for artists, but for anybody who has the ability to do both. But the ergonomics are super important if you have a big device like that, because it's probably too big to handle comfortably, but you could do something like what Microsoft has experimented with that Surface Studio, where it can be both a traditional computer and kind of come down and then be something that you work on. Um so yeah, I'm kind of intrigued by that. But they, they have to get all these other pieces in place first. And it sounds like maybe they're doing that.
0: I would love it. I mean, I'm using my iPad like it's just a monitor now more and more. Like all of the work I've done on for preparing today's episode was done with my iPad in a stand of a mouse and a keyboard. That's how I'm using my wow. iPad. My twelve. Honestly, over the last two weeks, that is the vast majority of time with my 12.9 inch iPad Pro, that's how I'm using it. So I would love to see a bigger screen, like, so then I could do that even more if I wanted to. Sure. The operating system makes as much sense and works for me in just the ways that I want, whether I'm using my hands or other devices. And I'm super pleased that Apple is starting to agree with this, right? Uh-huh. Which is, so I would love to see a bigger iPad to allow me even more flexibility in those modes, whilst then also still being able to grab the thing and draw on it, right? Yep. Francois asks, uh, I've heard that photos and iCloud can downgrade image resolution when shared via messages or via shared albums. Is this true? What shall I do about it?
1: Um, so I wrote a book that talks Ooh. about some of this. Mm-hmm. So you could go, you could buy my book. It's called Take uh, Control of say- Photos. And you can yep. get it at takecontrolbooks.com. Indeed. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, announcer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, this uh, is complicated because there are different scenarios where it gets down resed and uh, where it doesn't. I think shared. So shared albums have a maximum photo size. So if you just do Stupid. a shared album, mm-hmm. you will not give be giving people the full res images. I, I think if you send individual images in iMessage, you know, in messages, that you will get the full size file i think but it, it, i'm not 100 on that one um the one i am 100 on is there's a feature if you're on ios there's a feature called a share icloud link i think is what it's called um and what it will do is it will instead of sending photos it sends a link to an icloud repository of the photos that you sent and depending on what device you want, it does different. Th- you're on it does different things. Like on an iPhone or an iPad, it will offer to just automatically put those in your library, and if you say yes, it gets them all in your library at full resolution. Mm-hmm. But you can also opt, and on some devices, like on the web, you can see them, and it gives you the option of just downloading the files in like a zip archive, and those are the full resolution files. So the iCloud link method of sharing things is the one where you're basically guaranteed to get full quality uh if you try to email in some places it'll give you options um it's a it's kind of a mess but i think i'm positive about this because i think apple is going in a direction where they really want to sort of use the icloud link as the concept here because it means that if you're um if you're using another if it's another photo person photos person who's got icloud photo library no data essentially transfers um, it all happens up in the cloud. Like you you send this link and they go, yes, I would like those photos. And they just pop into your library and you didn't have to download 40 photos. They just happen on the server and suddenly they appear in your library. That's pretty great because you, if you've ever sent a big photo in messages or a couple of photos and then watched as the progress bar very slowly went along as you're trying to get you know, this giant set of photos on a cell signal or something like that it's it's not great but um i think it's less clear than it should be but i think the apple is pushing in that direction where they realize uh, so i don't recommend anybody use a shared album honestly because you're not getting the full quality
0: eric says do you think apple will ever sell the new mac pro silver and black magic keyboard mouse and trackpad separately i'd love to get them to match my non-pro silver iMac
1: so they did the iMac pro stuff right the the uh black with space gray. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine at some point they will get the silver and black uh, as well, just because if you're making them, why not sell more of them for people who want them? So, you know, it's got this initial cachet, but if the iMac Pro stuff is any indication, they will eventually sell it to everyone. So
0: I would think they would. I don't really like the look of those myself. The, hmm. the two-tone, the silver and black, it doesn't work for me. I'm a big fan of that.
1: But it's got a keypad on it, so I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah, uh, John says,
0: with all your recent keyboard adventures, Mike, I'm assuming. mostly using US layouts, how are you managing the switch from British? So the keyboards that I have ordered all have British layouts. That's typically what I do. Uh, But I don't struggle with the US layout anyway. Like I do have and have had many keyboards or laptops that have the US layout. My MacBook Pro right now has the US layout on it. It just takes me a minute to get used to the return key shape change, but that's it. Everything else is mostly fine. But with iOS, it's actually really manageable anyway, because you can specify what language your keyboard's in, in the keyboard preferences. So even if I was switching from a British keyboard and an American keyboard, the system will recognize the key presses correctly. It's very clever like that.
1: Yeah. So you can say, I'm using British. I'm -hmm. I'm writing in British. Mm
0: -hmm. I'm writing in in English or American English.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Andrew says, it seems as if Apple Notes has been doing basic OCR and scan notes for a while. Is it possible to extract the OCR text? I don't think it is, right? Like It's doing recognition, but that's it. I've also found the recognition to not be that great, but there are shortcuts that can help you, and I'll include a link to the Maxillary Shortcuts Archive because they have some OCR shortcuts in there if you want to grab them on iOS.
1: Yeah, when we talk about OCR, there are two different kinds of OCR." Uh, there's an OCR that gets you text that tries very hard to get you clear text of whatever it's reading off of an image. And then there's the one that is make is there to make it searchable and they're different. Like that one is, the goal is to do a text index that's searchable. And when you think about it, OCR is looking at, at um, each word and making guesses based on context about what the word is by looking at the image. And it's got a percent Likelihood score, like this is eighty percent the word that, um, but sometimes it has a harder time, and it'll say, mm, this is you know forty percent it's this word, forty percent it's this word," and in a OCR for reading, it has to pick one, and so it picks one. OCR for indexing, what it does is, they're both in there, mm-hmm. both both the possibilities. So you have something that's not readable by a human. But and if you've ever done this, if you have OCR text in your in Apple Notes, which does this, um, you do a search. If you search for a word, it'll show you that word. Sometimes, if you search for another word, it could be, it will come, it will it will pop up, and you'll be like, "Well, that's not that word." (laughs) It's like, "No, but it's a word it could have been." So, like, it's trying to be as broad as possible. Like, this could be this or that or they. And if you're building OCR for search, you put all of them in there. And that way, if you if you search for a phrase, it's more likely to find it because one of those is probably the answer. But it doesn't lead for readability. So the Apple Note stuff is not built for readability.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. If you would like to uh, send in a question for a future episode, just send out a tweet with the hashtag Ask Upgrade. Thank you to everybody that does that. We'd love to get some more. So if you have any questions you want us to answer, just send out a tweet hashtag Ask Upgrade. And they may be included in a future episode. If you want to find Jason online, he is at Jason O, J S N E L L, and he writes at sixcolors.com, and as well as podcasting here at Relay FM, also at The Incomparable as well. Uh, I am I Mike, I M Y K E, on social media. Uh, thanks so much to our sponsors this week the people at Pingdom, DoorDash, and Previs Pro. Uh, you could go check them out help support the show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to 9to5Mac for providing <laughs> content for An us entire today.
1: segment. Thank you to Benjamin Mayo and, and Zach Hall. Zach much
0: appreciated. Uh, we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, Mike Hurley.